morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to see all of you here, and, and thank you to those of you who join us online. So before we get going this morning, we're, we're talking about roadblocks to the resurrection, but we're starting this morning. It's test time, all right? Pop quiz this morning. You guys ready for this? All right. Okay, that's, you passed. That's it. All right. Because really, it's just, it's this whole thing. Like, how many of you love pop quizzes? All right. Okay, there's a couple strange people in here that do, but right, most of us, when we get that, like there's that moment when somebody tells us it's test time and it's just like your heart drops, like, right? You, no matter how well you've prepared, when somebody does that, all of a sudden there's just that, like, that catch, like, do I really know this? Do I have what it takes? Right? I'm about to be tested. I'm about to be tried. I'm about to see how I measure up, right? And so there, there's a part of us that we don't like tests. Right? Because it, it reveals the truth. Right? And sometimes it's, it's nice to hide behind a facade of something else or just feeling like I'm pretty sure I'm good, but I don't necessarily want to take the test because then I'll know. Right? But tests on the other, on the flip side, like as a teacher, tests, like, well, for some, like, I have to be honest, there's a part of like saying it's test time and then like seeing your faces, it's kind of fun. All right. But the reality is, as a teacher, tests are really useful because if, I'm, if my job is to train you and to teach you for something, your ability to pass the test proves that you, you've learned it, right? And that's why we use tests, right? Like if you're going to go and have somebody operate on your body, you kind of want to know that they've like passed the test. They, they know what they're doing, right? If I'm going to trust myself to someone, I, I want to know that, that they've done their work and they've learned. So tests are, are helpful in that sense too, right? Well, today we're talking about a, a couple series where, where there's these, these tests that Jesus gives to the disciples. And, and it's important because of this. The redemption plan of all of history is about to reach its climax in, in, in the gospel story. Right? As we're reading through the gospels, as we're reading through this account of Jesus' life on earth, we're coming to this point where, where Jesus is going to the cross. And God's plan for redeeming history has all been leading up to this moment. And that's why we're, we're going through this series, talking about all the roadblocks, the things that even once Jesus came to earth, what are all the things that stood in the way? And we're only hitting a highlight of a handful of them, right? Because there's, there's so many more as you read through the gospel accounts, as you read through the life of Jesus, you see all these different times where there's these obstacles that he has to overcome. And it's because of the, the reality of this moment Right? God comes to earth, puts on human flesh, and, and does what we couldn't do. Right? We're reminded of the fact that as, as we read the Bible, it starts out, we fall short. Sin happens right at the very beginning that, that humans, like we mess it up. And then all of the Old Testament is pointing to this point. As God starts calling a people to himself, he gives them the law, which just points out their, their need for a savior, right? The whole sacrificial system pointing to this need that, that there's a price that has to be paid and, and looking ahead that, that man, someday there, there needs to be a perfect sacrifice and, and it's not here yet. And the promise of a Messiah coming who's going to make it right. And then here comes Jesus. And God's plan is is coming to this, this high point. 
And so the roadblocks are coming quicker and quicker and more and more. And so we've talked about, so we talked about his, his temptation in the wilderness. Last week we talked about the fact that his family didn't even believe him. Today we're going to talk about his disciples and how they fail the plan because the redemption plan is Jesus goes to the cross and becomes that perfect sacrifice and dies in our place to do what we couldn't do. But then the plan for getting the word out is, is these disciples, these men that Jesus personally called, that He mentored, that He taught, that He spent time with, that He poured Himself into. The plan is that once He dies and raises again, He's going back to heaven and He's entrusting these disciples to then go out and, and take the good news to everyone, to share it and, and to, to point other people to the truth of what Jesus did. And that, was just, that, that ripple effect will carry out throughout history. That's the plan. So if Jesus is going to leave, these guys have to understand it. These disciples have to understand the mission. They have to understand the plan so that they can go do it because it, it's on them to carry it out. And so as Jesus is carrying out this plan, he runs to this roadblock because the disciples don't get it. That's what we're going to read today. We're going to read through a couple of accounts where, where Jesus is kind of calling them to the mat, calling them to the table to test them on, on whether they understand the plan. And so I want you to join with me. We're going to read in Matthew chapter 16. Um, if you've got your Bibles open up, I, I cheated and marked it ahead of time, so I got a head start. But if you're using the, the chair Bibles, the blue Bibles in front of you, go ahead and you can grab those. And it's, I've got it written down here, page... 797 is on the screen behind me too. That's helpful. All right, 797, you want to use those. Um, but I want you to read along with me. Whether you're using digital doesn't matter. But we're going to read through these accounts where Jesus interacts and he, and he tells the plan of the disciples and, and we'll see how they do. So this first, the first time, Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? All right, we're starting the quiz. Question one, who do people say I am? That's a pretty easy question, right? Like, what have you heard? Like, people are talking all around. There's, there's always these crowds. What do people say? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. All right? This is what we're hearing. People are, are coming up with all these different ideas about who you are. There you go. Question one, they're doing good. All right? Second question, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. Question two, who, who do you say I am? And Peter gets right, he's like, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus' response is like, yes. And this, not, not only did you get it right, but this was revealed to you. God, God gave you the answer. Like he, he has made this clear to you that I am the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. Everything that's been pointing to this Messiah. You got it right. So, right, so, so pop quiz number one, it's looking good. Right? Who do people, and the first one was a gimme. Right? The second question, here it is, who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. And they get it right for a little bit. 
Jump down to verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. The disciples get it right. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Jesus starts to explain, here's how it works. Here's what the Messiah is going to do. Right? This is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament law, the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. Here's what's going to happen. The, son, the Messiah is going to go and he is going to be mistreated. And he's going to be accused and he's going to be condemned to die. But then he'll be raised back to life. And so he, here's the plan. Jesus lays it out. He doesn't hide anything. It's not like he like, leaves the ending out. Here's the bad news. This is going to happen. But here's the good news. I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to be that perfect sacrificial lamb, but when I die in your place, I'm going to come back to life. Here's the whole plan. Right? You got it right. I'm the Messiah. Here's what it means that I'm the Messiah. Let me tell you. And what's Peter's response? Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Right? We want to translate in today's language, over my dead body, Jesus. You're the Messiah. I'm not letting somebody beat you or mistreat you or kill you. It's not going to happen. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That first quiz, how did this happen? It started looking promising, right? You get the, you get the first ones right, but then they failed miserably. The disciples failed because they didn't understand it. Peter failed. He's like, not going to happen. And, and even though Peter is the bold one who's always speaking, we know the other disciples are right there with them. They missed the mark. Jesus explains to them, here's God's plan. Here's, here's the fulfillment of what we're waiting for. Here's the fulfillment of what the Messiah is. And they crash and burn. And they get it wrong. Because not only do they not understand it, but then it's like, oh, we're not going to let this happen. So test one, a fail. What does Jesus do? What's his immediate response? Well, after correcting Peter, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. He re-explains the gospel to them. They believe He's the Messiah, but then when He tells them what the Messiah has to do, they're like, no, no, no. And so then Jesus, rather than getting, I'm sure He was frustrated, I'm sure He was disappointed and discouraged. But what's He do? He points them back to the gospel. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? They fail the test, but Jesus wants to make sure they understand what it means to be followers of Jesus. They, they've already in, uh, accepted this invitation to follow Him. They've, at this point in the story, they've, they've been following Him for years. 
They've spent time with him. They've seen miracles. They've seen him and heard him teach crowds. They've seen him interact with the religious leaders and and show the authority that he has with God's word, that he is God in the flesh. They've, They've seen that. And yet when this test is given, they mess up. And so Jesus points them back to the truth. Following Jesus is not about joining in with the, the, the right thing. It's recognizing that, well, man, we're failures. Now, I don't measure up, and I need a Savior. I needed a perfect sacrifice to, to do what I could never do. God had to come on a rescue mission for me. And so I surrender. I deny myself. I take him across, and I follow him. Jesus points him back to that. But that's not the only test. We're going to continue on in, in chapter 17, and we're going to skip down to verse 22, but, but I want you to just quickly notice what we're skipping over. We skip over, at the beginning of chapter 17, the, the transfiguration, right? This is the story where Jesus goes with a couple of his disciples up onto a mountain, and in that moment, it's like, I don't know how to explain it. It's like time pauses and, and the veil of humanity is, is pulled apart and they get to see Jesus in all of his glory. They get to see God with the veil peeled back. Right? And I, they don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's bright. There's a cloud. Their response is they drop as if dead before it. And then Jesus is there on the mountain with with some dead guys somehow, and it's just, it's this miraculous experience. They get to witness it, right? I believe that Jesus is God. I've seen him do incredible things, but then all of a sudden, I get to see God glorified. And then they come down, Jesus heals some more people, and then we get to the second test, the second chance. Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23, when they came together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised to life. Again, here's the plan. Son of Man is going to be handed over. He's going to be killed. Third day, raised to life. Really simple, cut and dry. Here's the gospel plan. And what is the disciples' response? They were filled with grief. They failed. They missed the point again. Right? Jesus is trying to teach them. He's been teaching them. He's been telling them, here's the gospel plan. God had to come to earth. That's me, Jesus. I'm God. I've taken on human flesh. I'm living a perfect life that nobody else could. I'm living up to the perfect standard that God set so that I can die in your place. And here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be killed. But then on the third day, I'm going to raise to life, defeating death, conquering sin, making everything right. And the disciples' response is they're sad because they don't get it. They don't understand. They don't get it. And so again, we see this failure where they just don't comprehend God's plan as he tells them again and again and he cares for them. But what does Jesus do? He continues to teach And before we get to the third test in in Matthew 20, we see all these these times where Jesus, again, is performing miracles. He's teaching. He's interacting with religious leaders. He's continuing to proclaim the good news. And now now it's go time. As we get to chapter 20, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he knows this is This is the end. 
Because he knows that as he goes into Jerusalem, this is when it's going to happen. The, the religious leaders are going to accuse him and arrest him. They're going to hand him over to the Romans, and, and he's going to die. The, the time is coming near. And so for Jesus, the test is, is about to happen. The roadblocks keep coming. And so as they approach Jerusalem, he again tells the disciples what's going to happen. So Chapter 20, verse 17. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, He took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death and will hand Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, He will be raised to life. So again, here's, here's Jesus laying out the plan in detail. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to enter this city, and when we do, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over to death, and I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I will rise again. So again, the same story, more details. Here is the plan. And how did the disciples do this time? How do they deal with this test? Let's keep reading. Verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, so that's James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten, the other disciples, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So here's, here's the response to the test, right? Jesus lays it out. Here's the plan again. Right? You say that I'm the Messiah. You, you understand this, right? So here's what's going to happen. We're going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die on the third day. I'm going to be raised to life, conquering death, setting history right, preparing a way, making a way that all men may be made right with God through me and my sacrifice. This is what's going to happen. And what's the disciples' response? So Jesus, when, when we get set up in your kingdom... Can, can we have the positions of power and authority and responsibility? Like, so when you're in your kingdom, right and left hand, guys, that's us, right? We're, we're going to have this power. And, and, and it's all about positioning for power and authority and prestige. Jesus lays out the gospel plan. What's in it for me? And you see the, the other disciples, right? What's their response? Verse 24, when they heard about this, they were indignant with the two. Not because, like, you guys don't get it. It's because, like, oh, shoot, we should ask mom to help. Right? We missed our chance for power and position and authority. Like, we could have been those guys, and we, we didn't think about it. It failed the test again. This is, this is like the week before Jesus goes to the cross. This is, this is it. And they still don't get it. They're worried about what's in it for them. Jesus calls them together because the reality is that even this roadblock, 
Even knowing that here's the plan for the gospel to spread to all peoples, these guys, these, these men that I've gathered and trained and poured myself into, and here we are a week out, and they're, they're failing. And he knows in his perfect wisdom, he knows what's going to happen, that they're going to continue to fail him. But no roadblock could stop Jesus. He came on a mission to head to the cross, to die in our place, to, to defeat sin and death for once and all, and nothing was going to get in the way. And so even in this failure, when his friends fail him again, what's he do? He teaches them. And he explains again. Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Right? This is the way the world works. Right? Everything in the world is about power and authority and position and it's all about how do I gain more power and how do I exercise power over other people. That's the way the world works. That's the way everything works here. And then Jesus responds, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes right out as they're positioning for power and worried about that in light of the resurrection. He says, that's not the way it works in my kingdom. It's not about short-term power and position or short-term satisfaction. It's about long-term gain. It's about eternity. Jesus didn't come. He, he could have taken the throne, right? That was the first temptation in, in the wilderness with the devil. That he could have just taken the easy way out and just lived a life of, of ease, right, and, and satisfaction. But he's like, no, he, he came on a mission and nothing was getting in the way of that. And he teaches the disciples again. He said, I'm the example, the Son of Man, God in the flesh, and I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. He was playing a different game. God's kingdom is different, and He, and he came to do something different. So here's what I want to do in the, in the little bit of time we've got left, is, is in light of this, what, I, I think there's some important things that we have to wrestle with. Some truths that this scripture brings out, this sword brings out that, that are, are true of us and I think it's important that we think about them as we, as we contemplate what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. And here's the, the first thing. In this story, we are the failures. Right, we look at this, right? We see Peter failed. He denies Christ, right? He, he, he says when Jesus tells him the plan, his response is, get behind, like, not get behind me. He says, over my dead body. It's not going to happen. I'm not going to let this happen. All right, the rest of the disciples fail. They're, they're just filled with grief in response to Jesus telling, oh, here's the plan. Here's my redemptive plan for all of history. James and John fail. They're worried about their own positions and power and authority than what God cares about. And it doesn't stop there. As we continue reading this, this story, right? Was, we get to the Garden of Gethsemane right before Jesus is betrayed. Like, they bail on him. Peter denies Christ. 
After the resurrection, the, the disciples continue to fail. They continue to mess up. Right? We can read through all the New Testament. You just continue to see, like, humans are fallible. We mess up. We don't measure up. You guys can look at your own life. There's not one of us in here who can look back and, and not say, man, I'm, I, I've failed. God's standard is perfection, and I haven't measured up. I don't measure up. So all of us have that in common. Some of you may be sitting right here this morning watching online being like, I'm a failure right now. I know what God's plan is. I know what God wants from me, and I'm choosing to do my own thing. I'm a failure. Here's the happy news for Sunday morning. We're all going to fail again. I don't care how, how good things are right now, we are going to mess up. I don't care how much your heart is in a, a desire to honor God with your life, we will screw up. That is, that is who we are. Happy Sunday morning. <laughs> I mean, I want, I, we have to take a moment to just reflect on that, the weight of our sin. God created us to be in relationship with Him, but, but we choose rebellion. We choose our own way. We, we know what God's desire is, what God's purpose is. He's given us His Word. He's laid it out for us, and, and we choose our own way all the time. Day after day, moment by moment, we, we maybe have some good streaks that we run together, but ultimately we come back to this point where we choose ourselves and we fail. And our failure is why Jesus went to the cross. So that would be a horrible place to stop, so we're not going to stop there. Because as we sit in that for a moment, we recognize the weight of our sin. What's the reality is that, that God knows us and he loves us. Hey, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's, that's the hope that we cling to. Not because, man, look at us. We've got it all together. We're all dressed nice and we showed up on a Sunday morning and, man, we are good. Man, this church, we've got it together. No. The reality, the hope that we cling to is this, is that in spite of our sin, in spite of our repeated failure, God loves us. That's the gospel message that we cling to. Right? We are failures, and yet in the midst of our failure, we are loved by a perfect God. Like just, just think about that for a, a moment. Maybe that's the thing that you just need to, to, to sit in. Is that as Jesus was headed to the cross on that, that rescue mission, nothing was getting in the way. No roadblock could prevent him from going to the cross. And you know what it was that was in front of his mind as he went to the cross? It was you. It was me. It was the reality that apart from Jesus, we are failures. We are sinners who are deserving of eternal separation from God. And yet God, in his incredible kindness and mercy, looks for it and sees us and says, you're worth it. And Jesus allowed himself to be beaten, to be mocked, to be crucified so that he could make a way for us to be right with him. Guys, that is just an incredible thing that maybe you just need to reflect on that this week. 
Maybe you just need to, maybe you've never grasped that before, that, that we don't have to be convinced of how bad we are. We know that. But that God loved us in spite of that, and he was willing to chase after us and rescue us, even though it cost him his life. Knowing that he was going to have the fullness of the wrath of God poured out on him, he looked into eternity future and saw me and said, it's worth it. And that's the hope that we cling to. That's the hope that we have. I'm not perfect, but a perfect God loves me and rescued me. And finally, we come to this point that as we understand that, that God has made a way to, to draw us to himself, to be in relation with us, he invites us to follow him. He invites us to a life of obedience, of following him. That's what our desire as a church is. That's what we want to do is we understand the truth of this story. We want to follow. I want to flip over to, to John 21, John's gospel account at the end after Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's with the disciples on the side of the lake. And it says when he had finished eating with them, this is John 21, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then he said to him, follow me. After Peter failed, Jesus restores him. And his invitation is, follow me. We are all called to this point where we recognize what Jesus did for us on the cross. But then we're invited into this life of obedience, of following Jesus. As we understand more the weight of our sin, as we understand more the incredible goodness of God and his love for us, this invitation to follow him and walk in obedience to him. Now, I don't care if you're, maybe you're at this point where you're like, I've never wrestled with this before. I've never understood this truth before. The invitation of Jesus is that he died, he loves you. He died for you. He paid the price for you. And the invitation is to follow him, to be a disciple, to, to, to give up yourself and to trust Jesus and what he's done for you and walk in obedience. Maybe you're sitting here and, and, and thinking, man, I, I did that decades ago. The invitation is still there to follow him. Every day is an opportunity for us to take another step of obedience as we learn to follow Jesus. He paved the way for us. He, he invited us to follow him. He made us right with him. And, and he gave us an example that we can follow. That's the invitation that's there for you. And whether it's the first time you've ever wrestled with that truth or, or whether it's, it's been the defining thing of your life, that you're a follower of Jesus. The invitation is still, follow me. So where, where are you in all of this? The incredible reality is that as failures, we are loved by a perfect God. And then we're not defined by our fails, our failures, but we are defined by the perfection of Jesus. Jesus. 
as we follow him. Now, I'd encourage you, I don't know what, what it is that, that God is, is challenging you with today, but, but my, my encouragement to you is, is, man, take some time to, to worship Him. Because the reality is, is, is we are loved by God. We can't, we can't say it enough. We can't say it the correct way. We can't explain the love of God. But, but I'll encourage you to recognize that, to spend some time just trying to wrestle with it, that, that the God of all creation loves you and he desires to know you and he invites you into a relationship with him as we follow him. Now we're going to wrap up our our worship time this morning. As we do, I I, want to give you a chance to respond to this. And part of the the band is going to come out. We're going to sing uh, together and and the song is really about what he's done. It's an opportunity for us to, to just thank God, praise God because of what he did for us on our behalf. It's an opportunity for us to to acknowledge the reality of what he did on the cross, that that no roadblock could stop him from from rescuing us. And so if you know this, I encourage you just to sing out with the band as we worship God together. Sometimes we just need that ability just to to engage in worship as we reflect on what God's done. But maybe it's a time for you just to to be quiet. So as as everybody's standing and singing, maybe maybe you just sit there. Maybe you sit at home and you just reflect on the words that we're singing together. As you reflect on the truth of what God did for us. Maybe it's a time just to reflect on that. But I just I want to encourage you to do that. But would you stand up and we're gonna the band's gonna come out? We're gonna we're gonna worship together. But as we do that, I just want to, to close this time in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that. That, that in spite of our repeated failure, that, that you, you see us and you considered the cross worth it. You considered all the suffering that you did. You considered the wrath of God being poured out on you for us worth it. And you've rescued us, you've redeemed us, you've made us right with you. And so God, we, we worship you today. God, may this song be the response of our heart, praising you because of what you've done on our behalf. And God, I pray that our response would, would be to follow you in obedience. Not perfect, far from perfect. But day by day, learning to follow you and to glorify you because of what you've done. Amen.